Would you stand with me as we read our scripture passage together this morning? It's from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be, be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Pray with me. Father, thank you for uh, your word. As we look into it this morning, I, I ask that you would um, open our hearts to your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Sunday when, as a congregation, we have a chance to share a little bit of what we've learned through this sermon series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Bless our time together, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm not much of a Star Wars fan, but I'm married to one, and I work with two of them. And so to relate to the people closest to me, um, a while back, I watched with them a Star Wars-themed television series uh, called The Mandalorian. If you're not familiar with the series and don't want to watch it, you can look it up and read all about it on Wikipedia. Um, the main character is a bounty hunter uh, from the planet from a planet called Mandalore, whose residents follow a strict religion that governs their way of life. And one of their favorite sayings when commenting on their way of life is, help me out. Yeah, this is the way, Star Wars fans. They're everywhere. Today we are going to conclude our series through the Sermon on the Mount, which is essentially Jesus's this is the way speech for his followers. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the way. In about 15 minutes, you're going to have the opportunity to come to one of these microphones here at the front and share a little bit about what you've learned about apprenticing the way of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount, or what has encouraged you, what has challenged you along the way. We do this with every, when we close up every sermon series here at Fellowship Nashville. But before we do, I'm going to do a little mini sermon. Um, I'd like for us to zoom out for just a few minutes and get a bird's eye view of Jesus' sermon. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount verse by verse uh, for about six months, uh, seven months really, but we took a month break to do a little uh, a strategy, ministry strategy series there in August. But um, to use a common analogy, we've been studying the trees. But I want to back up and make sure that we don't miss the forest for the trees, okay? If the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' this is the way speech, what other way of living is Jesus distancing himself from and calling, calling his followers to leave behind? Well, the answer becomes abundantly clear here at the end of the sermon as Jesus closes with five different sermon illustrations. He was a, a good teacher. He used a lot of illustrations to, to help his audience stay awake, I guess. Um, four of those illustrations he used, or Ryan covered last week. And each of these illustrations presents or implies two distinctly different ways of life. Jesus talks about two different gates, two different sheep, two different trees, two different groups of people, and then lastly, in the scripture we just read, two different houses. 
And in each of these pairings, we have the same kind of dynamic at play. Something looks really good on the outside, but it's revealed to be deficient or fake on the inside. So you've got a good-looking gate, but where does that gate lead? You can talk to me. Destruction. Go back and review last week's sermon. Um, <laughs> you've got a good-looking sheep, but it's secretly a what? A wolf in sheep's clothing. You've got a good-looking tree, but it produces what? Bad fruit. You've got a good-looking resume, but it doesn't get you in. You've got a good-looking house, but there's no foundation. And now before I studied these illustrations in their context of the Sermon on the Mount, I used to um, always assume that they were a contrast between the way of the righteous and the way of the unrighteous. In other words, um, I grew up thinking that the wide gate that leads to destruction must be the way of the world, the way of the unrighteous, the irreligious. But it turns out that's not really what these contrasts are about. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not contrasting his way to the way of the irreligious. Rather, he's contrasting his way to the way of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's confronting the religious establishment of his day. That's the contrast throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Unless your righteousness exceeds, remember this one? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. You've heard it said this, by who? By the religious leaders. But I say to you this, the true meaning behind the law. Don't be like those religious hypocrites who give and pray and fast to be seen by others. No, do those things in secret instead. And then look at Matthew's summary of the sermon as he wraps up in verse 28, which we just read earlier. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as who? They're scribes. So even in this closing summary, the message Matthew is saying is this. This is how you're supposed to read this. The way of Jesus versus the way of the scribes and the Pharisees. The wide, easy, popular gate that leads us to destruction is the way of the scribes and Pharisees. The Pharisees are the wolves in sheep clothing. They are the diseased tree with the bad fruit. They're the ones with the religious resumes who won't get into the kingdom. They're the ones with the good-looking house built on sand, which cannot withstand the storms of life. But the narrow, hard, unpopular way, the gate that leads to life is the way of Jesus. He's the authentic sheep, the true prophet of God. He's the good tree with the good fruit that gives life on judgment day. If you're known by him, the gates of heaven are going to be open to you. And if you build your life on his word, you will have a house that is built on the rock that withstands the storms of life. Do you see the distinction? Two ways. The ways of the Pharisees and the way of Jesus. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees, as we've said before, were the religious moralists of the day. They're, they're the goody-two-shoes, church-going type, okay, to put it in modern language. They were the ones leading the synagogues. They were respected. They were at the center of their society. Their way was the popular way of relating to God, the broad gate, the well-trodden path. But Jesus is presenting a contrasting way, a less popular way, a narrow gate that leads to life. The Pharisees taught that if you would just be good and obey the rules, then God would bless you with a good life. 
So shape up, get in line, act right, go to church, pray, fast, give to the poor. This is the way to earn God's favor and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just be good, and then God will see your religious moral efforts and reward you with the blessings of a good life. And in Jesus' day, as well as ours, this is the way most people relate to God. It has broad appeal. It's easily understood. It's the way that most popular religion works. It's the self-righteous way of religious moralism. But the way of Jesus is altogether different because Jesus tells us you'll never be good enough. Remember the last verses in chapter five? Jesus says this, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Who can do that? Nobody. Well, one person, Jesus himself. You'll never be good enough, but I have come to obey the law for you. I didn't come to abolish the law of God, but to fulfill the law of God. Remember that part? The law was given to show that you couldn't save yourselves, but I have come to save you. Exchange my life for yours. I will take your sin on myself and give you my own perfect righteousness so that you might live forever clothed in my righteousness, accepted by God as his children forever. I will make you right with God by grace, through faith, as you entrust yourself to me. That's the way of Jesus, my friends. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Religious moralism offers offers us good advice. Here's what you've got to do. But the way of Jesus is different. That's the way of the Pharisees. But the gospel offers us good news, not good advice. Good news. Here's what Jesus has done. You can't save yourself. You need Jesus as your savior. He's the narrow way that leads to life. You know, the way of the Pharisees is simply behavior modification, sin management, with the goal of looking good on the outside. Do more, try harder, prop yourself up with good deeds and moral behavior. And if you follow the way of the Pharisees, you might look good on the outside. You might become an upstanding moral citizen, but on the inside, your heart is full of disease. It's full of self-righteousness that spills out as judgment towards others who aren't as externally moral as you. And like a bad tree, it ultimately bears the ugly and poisonous fruit of pride. But the way of Jesus, my friends, is altogether different. Following Jesus slays our pride because in it, in the gospel, we learn that we are not perfect. There's only one perfect one. All our self-righteousness is like filthy rags. We realize that we are far more sinful than we ever dared to imagine, but we also learn that we're simultaneously more loved than we ever dared to hope. To quote an old Presbyterian preacher named Jack Miller, as Jesus clothes us in his perfect righteousness, it's given to us as a gift, as a great exchange by grace, through faith, our sin for his righteousness. And as this amazing grace melts our hearts, It makes us want to love God in return and do what pleases him. And so in apprenticing the way of Jesus, we start to obey him from acceptance instead of for acceptance. There's a big difference. From acceptance rather than for acceptance. Our doing for Jesus flows then out of love for him. It's not an obligation. It's not a duty. It's a delight as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness rather than seeking our kingdoms and our own reputations. 
And if we are resting on his righteousness rather than our own religious resume, he will never say to us, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because by grace and through faith, we've become dearly loved children of a heavenly father. Okay, that's the big picture here. The forest view of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I wrap up, I'd simply like to zoom in on this final contrast that Jesus makes in his sermon that we read earlier between the the way of religious moralism and the way of Jesus. Look with me again at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. My friends, when the storms of life hit the house of religious moralists, their entire world collapses. Their house simply cannot withstand the storms of life. Why? Because they have a transactional relationship with God. Think about it. The way of the religious moralists is if you bring the righteousness, God brings the blessing. It's a transaction. But the moment the storms of life hit you, you lose your job, you go through a breakup or a divorce, you get sick, you don't have, you don't get that promotion, you're rejected in some form or fashion. The moment that happens, as soon as the blessings aren't coming, your transactional formula with God only gives you two explanations. One, either God broke his end of the deal. You've been good and he's not blessing you. He's dropped the ball, in which case you have a theological crisis where resentment starts building in your heart towards God. Or two, you've somehow broken your end of the deal. You apparently did something wrong and weren't good enough. And so God must be punishing you. And it puts you into a personal crisis of faith. And either way, your religious moralism stops working in the storms of life. The foundation of your life gives way. And like a house built on sand, sand, how great is the destruction of your faith? But when the storms of life come and beat on the person who is apprenticing the way of Jesus, someone who's listening to the words of Jesus, putting them into practice, living for the kingdom and not their mini kingdom, it's a radically different outcome. You may lose your income, and that's really tough, but you can take refuge in the reality that you have an eternal inheritance that's waiting for you in heaven. Riches that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept for you as God's child. You may go through a relational breakup, and that's really painful, but you know that you have an eternal love of a God who will never let you go. You may get sick. Yes, that's difficult. But you know that Jesus has already healed you of the ultimate sickness and disease of sin and death and promised you a perfectly healthy, resurrected body forever. You may face rejection, and that hurts, but you can focus on the reality that Jesus, the one person in the universe whose opinion really matters, has already accepted you, and he calls you friend. In other words, the life of a person who's apprenticing the way of Jesus It's like a house built on the rock. 
and the storms of life, they'll beat against you. But even in the midst of those storms, the pylons of your, that go down to the foundation of the rock get driven deeper. Deeper into the rock of your salvation, which holds you fast. To quote the old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Say it with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ a solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My friends, this is the way. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for these contrasts that Jesus sets up. And these contrasts are an invitation for us to trust you, to not rely on our own righteousness, but rely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to put our hope not in this earth, not in this life, but in a kingdom that's coming. And we pray that kingdom would come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May that day come soon, we pray. Amen. Well, as is our custom, we want to give you a chance to respond. What did you learn? What was it that challenged your heart or encouraged your heart through the Sermon on the Mount? If you would, just come, kind of go around the outside and come make lines at each of these microphones and, and share. Try to keep it short. Um, we don't need any more mini-sermons. Um, <laughs> keep it short. Just share a snippet about what you've learned through the Sermon on the Mount. As you line up, I'm going to just share... Um, from Abby Grillo, who's in kids' ministry today, but she wanted to share with you what she learned. Reflection. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I spent most of my life performing, admitting that I need a savior, need Jesus as a savior, but putting on an image of what I thought was perceived perfection, which turned out to be a very heavy and exhausting burden. Through his word and many struggles in the past few years, I have come to admit more fully and deeply that I am, a, I am desperately broken. I'm not perfect. Jesus is the only one that is, and now I have the freedom to admit that and to share in his church because we all realize we need him. This new way of viewing life helps me to give more grace to others and myself and to be more honest and open. I received God's blessing of himself because I know that I am not worthy on my own. And then I get to celebrate through deeper relationships with him and others because I can stop pretending and instead wait on him to one day make all things new. So thank Abby when you see her. Go ahead and come. Well, I think it'll be very long. I just wanted to say uh, on the uh, eye for an eye section, um, talking about being inconvenienced. Um, I think our, our society is, struggles with that. We have our, our things we're doing and Either we're very, very busy or we're struggling with something or what have you, but 
Um, I think being inconvenienced either to allow someone to slight you in some way or to reach out to somebody and um, you know help them. You know, um, I've got a big thing for homeless people for some reason, and I try to not I try to not let myself be inconvenienced, whether it be just to let them be seen. Um, you know, the whole thing with giving them money or not and all that stuff, and debate that how you want to, but let them be seen. They're in that situation for some reason. Um, and to take a little bit of time, because time's a precious commodity, and we feel like we need to you know, get to the next thing. But I think just um, letting ourselves be inconvenienced is something that I learned through the, uh, the uh, sermon series. So thanks. One thing that I will remember from the sermon series um, that I will keep digging into deeper is coming to learn more about prayer and um, what is prayer, the power of prayer. Um, the sermon from Matthew chapter 7, I've um, often thought about prayer and known in my heart that prayer is not, um, it's not a wish you're throwing up to heaven. It's not an incantation that in some way um, magically unlocks some special power. But, um, and that's exactly what we learned that day um, from Matthew 7, that prayer isn't magical, but it is relational. Um, the main point of prayer isn't getting what we want. The main point of prayer is getting God himself. So I was grateful for that reminder. So uh, the Lord gave me a little um, object lesson <laughs> after the sermon on um, take the speck, take, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's. On Halloween, we were around a campfire, and we were burning leaves and stuff, trying to get it going, and I got a speck of something in my eye. And I, I didn't really, that night I was just like, you know, surely this will clear, and um, Man, it was, it was, I was like, there must be something huge in my eye. I could not see it. I was in the mirror just like pulling it in all different directions and trying to flush it out and um, didn't sleep good that night. It was just like I woke up every night and just, I felt like I literally had something like a log in my eye and uh, had to go to the eye doctor the next morning and she flushed it out and flipped my eyelid. It was kind of, it was an, a difficult, interesting experience. But um, she goes, oh, I see it. And she's, you know, got this magnifying glass, and she reaches in just a little Q-tip, and she gets it. She goes, "You're not going to believe this, but uh, look how small this thing is." It was like the tip of a of a of a needle. It was the smallest little thing, and it was causing me so much discomfort. And I was kind of freaking out about it and being a big baby about it around my house. And um, I just thought, "Oh, this is so interesting. Like, how would they have done this? Like an ancient Palestine, you know, the ancient Near East." without this, all this equipment that this lady had to use to get this thing out of my eye. And, I, you know, that was, that was a speck in my eye. It felt like a log, but I can only imagine if, you, if there was any more in there, it would have been even more uncomfortable. Um, 
So I don't know, God gave me like a little example of that. And then even just yesterday, it's kind of weird, but yesterday the same exact thing happened. I didn't, thankfully it came out, but now I'm like, Lord, are you trying to get my attention about something? And um, I think actually, I think, I think he is. Uh, so I was, so some of you know, I'm a, I'm a campus minister. I work on different campuses around Nashville. And I was spending time with this um, younger guy yesterday. And he was having a real hard time, like, sitting across the table from me and making eye contact and just having a normal conversation. He was, I was, like, kind of pouring my heart out, and he was kind of looking in different directions. And, and every time we made eye contact, it was kind of awkward. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about when this happens. And uh, I was like, is something, you know, what's going on here? I, was, I kind of started getting frustrated at this guy and felt like, you know, man, he just doesn't seem interested in... Um, I said, well, I tell you what, tell me your story. Tell me, tell me you know, where you're coming from. And so uh, he shared his life story with me. And you know, his, his father had left the family when he was about five years old. He hadn't seen him since. Um, turns out he had never sat down with another grown man across the table like this and had a serious conversation in his whole life. And as he's sharing, ugh, my heart just like sank in my chest, you know? And I had so much compassion for him. And I realized I was, I was really judging him based on these external things and wanted to sort of get out of that conversation. But the Lord was wanting to reveal something to me, you know, about not being so quick to pass judgment, but, but to sit in someone else's shoes for a little bit and have some compassion on them, see them through the eyes that Jesus has. Maybe that's more, maybe that's more of the story. It's like, get all this stuff out of your eyes so that you can see people like Jesus does. And, and, and be, a, be a part of helping them in some way. So the Lord is doing things in my life and in my eyes. So some of you may not know me, This my wife Lisa back there, we've been coming since June, but we travel a lot, so maybe we're not super sticky around here yet, but we'll get sticky. Um, this Today's sermon actually sort of tied it all together, and the, the theme for me has been transactionality. So we had some things going on this summer that I needed I needed some help with, and I went to pray about it and was getting really frustrated that everything wasn't working out magically the way I wanted it to work out on my time frame. Um, and uh, with, with that, then I got frustrated because I think, well, you know, I did this, and so now I deserve that, and my prayers aren't working, and my past this isn't, you know, it's all these things that I was coming to. I was just reminded again, I was coming to it with like a really transactional view of, um, of my relationship with God. And at, at one point, like in late July, I mean, I actually sort of caught myself being that kid in the grocery aisle having a full-on tantrum, right? And, the, and I just felt like Jesus was looking at me like, to the other parents, like, I'm really sorry about this kid, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and, but what Mark said today sort of brought it all together, that there was, there's a real sense that, um, you know, we, we operate sometimes in a, you know, the, we, we step out of the grace and we step out of the promises that God's gonna take care of us. And instead, we start to get out our ledger and we, we want to hold God to some kind of deal, and that's not his deal. He's got this other deal. Um, and so I, I really appreciate how this sermon today um, 
you know, tied it all together. Um, and for those of you who are wondering, it actually finally did work out magically, uh, just in time, in a big, flashy way. One of the books, I've got like 50 books I want to write, and one of them is, I've entitled Jesus is uh, Super Flashy, because Jesus is super flashy, and sometimes he really does do the flashy thing. But then you feel even more ridiculous throwing your tantrum in the aisle. Um, so anyways, thank you. Hello, everyone. Wow. Um, I was looking back through notes I took during the Lord's Prayer, and I have in my margin, we become children, we become priests, we become citizens. And I just love kind of having that, you know, sometimes we talk about like be centered or whatever. I don't know whatever the terminology is, center yourself. But moving forward, I would love to wake up in the morning and just have a moment with the Lord of, God, thank you today that I'm your child, that I'm secure in you. I don't have to try to earn or gain or do anything today. Thank you that I can be your hands and feet as a priest and help turn each person I meet with towards you in some way. And thank you that I'm a citizen of heaven and this is not my home. And so when all the things don't go well or things fall apart, my hope's not in that. My hope is in an eternal home one day. So I just love like the firm foundation that those three kind of identities can offer us. Well, usually we have lines, so I'll do a better job preaching next time. Um, <laughs> if our worship team would, would come back up. Um, we do have time for one or two more people to share if, if you want to, just wave and come. Um, but if not, we'll, we'll go ahead and move towards closing our service. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for journeying with us through the greatest sermon ever preached. And it wasn't mine. It wasn't Ryan's. It was the message of Jesus, as this is the way speech. And um, I have been impacted by this message, by Jesus' sermon as, as your pastor. As I studied this, it was like, oh, that's what that means. Um, and God has done some heart work in me around this, this message uh, from Jesus. Um, so thank you for journeying with us. We really appreciate, um, appreciate you worshiping with us, but more so, we are so grateful for God's word and that it's a, we get to come together as a community. And one of the things I, I love is, is what happens in a place like this, where God brings together his people, his word, and his spirit. When those three things come together, life change happens. So thank you for being here. Let me pray with us. Father, thank you for this series through the Sermon on the Mount. Father, as Jesus offers us a contrasting way to live, 
Lord, would you help us leave behind our moralistic constructs, our empty religion. We're just as susceptible to that, um, even more so susceptible to that within the church. And we don't even recognize that we're lost in trusting our own self-sufficiency and our own self-righteousness. So help us to lay our deadly doing down down at Jesus' feet. Father, tune our hearts to, um, instead of performing, help us to rest. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I've spoken to people trying to do it on their own, to fulfill the law on their own, to follow all the rules of the scribes and the Pharisees. Help us, Lord, to find rest for our souls in Jesus because he has already done the work and it is finished, as he said on the cross. So we come in trust. We come in uh, repentance for doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And we come today um, wanting to, to... Build our house on the rock, the firm foundation of Jesus and his words and his ways. So thank you for this picture that you've given us in the gospel of Matthew and how to apprentice the way of Jesus. Continue to teach us. Continue to shave off the rough edges of our character in our lives. We open ourselves to your spirit and ask you to do just that in your time and in your way as you conform each of us to look more and more like Jesus so that you can use us as pictures where we live, work, learn, and play as people look at us and say, aha, that's what Jesus is like. We want that, Lord, and we need you. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us as we sing.